Well, good morning. Welcome to everyone who's joining us on site and those joining us online here today as well. Well, I'm glad to be back. I was on a family vacation for a little while that we've been planning for a number of months. And then, as many of you will know, that got extended last week as I tested positive for COVID and had to uh, go through that for a few days of being sick. Now, it hit me a bit different than it hit some people. Um, you know, if you look at sort of the top 10 symptoms of COVID, there's the top three we all know. There's the, there's the sore throat and the cough and the respiratory challenges. I didn't have any of those. I had like the bottom seven that were on the list there. I wasn't even sure that's what it was till I had uh, tested positive. So you can research that later what those bottom seven are. Here's the, the bad news is that those bottom seven hit hard. The good news is when they're gone, they're pretty much gone. And so I was able to recover pretty well. I'm glad to be back. Uh, it's really good to be here, and I'm thankful that in the absence, in my absence for a few weeks, that you had the opportunity for a few things. One, to, to meet one of my mentors. I'm so pleased that Sam Brake was able to come and share from God's Word, talk about ordination with you all. Uh, it was great to have Greg Musselman with us as well, who gave an update from Voice of the Martyrs and his journeys around the world, uh, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And then last week, uh, I got to thank Andrew for, on one day's notice, uh, stepping into the, the platform here and sharing with us from God's Word. So thank you for that. I'm glad you had a chance to uh, be ministered to by those people in my absence. Now, before we kick off our new sermon series today, I just want to take one brief moment to actually affirm what we just heard from our board, to affirm the direction and also the leading that our board's providing by asking us all to participate in this spiritual life assessment. And we want you to add your voice, and I want to encourage you to complete that assessment sooner rather than later, because we need to hear from you. We need to hear from all of you. And what I mean by all of you is if you have been here for only a few weeks or if you've been here for a few generations, we need to hear from you. If you are one of our young adults or if you have a hip, that's the age of a young adult, we need to hear from you. If you are somebody who regularly attends on-site or if you are of our wonderful people who attends regularly online, we need to hear from you. And this is an anonymous survey, as we just heard, and it's going to give us a really good understanding of how you are doing, how we are doing, and what we could be doing as we look towards the future. Now, here's one thing that you may not have thought of, I just want to let you know about, is that we're not asking for one person per household to do this. We're asking for everybody to do this. Everybody within your household, because each of you will have a unique experience and a unique perspective on what you can share with us. And so I just want to personally ask you that when you go home later today, on your way out the door, you're going to receive one of these cards. And if you don't have the link already, there's a code on here that you can scan with your phone. It'll take you right to the survey, or you can uh, go to your past emails we sent you that has it on there. And I want to ask you, when you go home today, would you complete this online? If you don't want to do it online, you can do it before you leave today in the church foyer. If you want to come back during the week at some point because you need some help or want some assistance with the computer side of it or the question side of it, you can come do it during the week in the church office. So I won't let you know. They say it takes about 15 minutes. It took Nadine and I less to go through it when we did it. And so I want to ask you, will you add your voice to the collective snapshot of the spiritual life here at West Meadows? Will you go home today and look after taking this survey? Can we do that? I'm not encouraged by that. <laughs> okay, I brought a stool. All right. So that's right. Ken, I'm going okay. <laughs> to... No. Can we, can, we, can we do that? Can we go home and look after that? Yeah. Thank you. Please. 
Please do. I, I want you to understand, this is only for a short period of time, but in this period of time, this is the most important thing happening in our church right now. This is a board initiative that we fully support, and we want to hear from you. So please, let's do that. Okay, now, let's move on to our new series. Our new series that we're calling Living with Eternity in Sight. And what this is, essentially, is a walk through the book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you brought your Bible with you, if you got it on your phone, feel free to flip there. If you want to use the sermon notes, you can find those through the pew portal on the code in front of you, or if you want to use a Bible in the pew, it's found on page 956 if you want to follow along. And what this is, this, this book of 1 Thessalonians, is it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonia, where he is encouraging and instructing this church, a church who is renowned for their faith and for the love in Jesus Christ and for their eager anticipation of his return. And over the next five weeks, we're going to be unpacking this first letter of Paul. Now, not just the first letter to the church of the Thessalonians. This is considered to be the very first letter, church, uh, letter that Paul wrote to any of the churches. Probably around 52 AD, you know, roughly 20 years or less after Jesus' ascension into heaven. And what's happening here is, is this town of Thessalonica. It is a major city in Greece, a major port city in the area of Greece, a place where Paul and Silas and Timothy went to visit on their second missionary journey. And we read some of what happened during that visit in Acts chapter 17, but, but basically here, here's the story. After about a month of preaching in that town and in the synagogues and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ amongst those people, those who were living in the town, some of those who were, who were of Jewish descent and those who were of, of Greek or Roman descent, they heard the good news, they believed, and they came together to form one of the very first churches. But soon trouble started to brew as that happened. You see, what happened was in the course of Paul's preaching, he was essentially preaching that Jesus was now the true Lord of the entire world. And that drew some suspicion. And that drew some questions. There were those amongst the traditional Jewish followers who said, no, he is not the long-awaited Messiah. He's not the resurrected Messiah. There were those of more of a Greek or a Roman descent who, who felt like, like Paul was saying that Jesus was superior to Caesar, to the emperor. And then the end result of this is that from all directions, the church started to experience severe persecution. Persecution so severe that Paul and Silas had to flee to another city. And they left this town. They left these people, with, which, was, which was painful, and worrisome for them because they had a deep love for the work and for the people they had seen in the short time they'd been there. And they knew that these followers of Jesus were new to the faith. They did not have deep roots. They had not endured a lot with their mentors side by side with them. They were new to their faith, but they were having to go through severe persecution. And so for a long time, all that Paul could do was pray for them. Pray and hope that they would hold stronger to the faith. Then after a period of time, Timothy arrives. And when Timothy comes to see Paul, he brings a report. He brings a report of what's happening back in Thessalonica. He says, Paul, things are, things are good. But, but you know what? Not, not even good. Things are great. The people there are thriving. They are doing so well amidst all the persecution that they're facing. And so Paul, hearing this report from Timothy, is motivated. He's moved to want to reconnect with this church that he started and so deeply loves but has been disconnected from. And this letter is his attempt to reconnect with this church from a distance. And he does so as we begin reading in verse 
1 of chapter 1. When he says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for you. And for your, we continually have been mentioning you in our prayers. As Paul opens here, as I've kind of set the scene for you, as he opens this letter, there's this, I get this image in my head of Paul's like this proud dad. Who's been, you know, this idea of a proud dad who's been in the backyard practicing pot flies with his son for, for weeks on end. And his son is now finally in the big game playing left field. And somebody hit the ball and it's flying out towards the field where his son is. And he's thinking to himself, is, what's he going to do? Is he going to stand there and stare at the clouds? This is the ball kind of soar over his head. Some of us who have kids, you know, we've seen this, right? They just kind of check out and watch. Are they going to pick the dandelions and, and let the ball just kind of go by? No, they don't. They put into practice exactly what they had been taught, and they catch the ball, and Paul's standing on the sidelines reconnecting with this church going, that's my boy. I'm so proud of you. I'm so encouraged by what's happening. And then we get to verse 3. And in verse 3, he points out exactly what it is that is bringing such joy to him. He says this in verse 3. Because we remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. A faith that works. A faith that results in their ability to experience new life with Jesus Christ. A faith that works. It changed their lives. A, a, a love for Jesus that not only impacts their lives, but motivates them to serve others in the name of Jesus. And all this bringing them to a hope of one day that they will see Jesus face to face. Oh, that has a sustaining power that whatever life may bring, persecution or otherwise, whatever life may bring, the sustaining power of a hope inspired by Jesus Christ. A work that produces faith, a labor prompted by love, and a hope inspired by Jesus. These are sometimes referred to as like the, as the trinity of Christian virtues that Paul describes elsewhere in some of his letters. That he's encouraging other churches to, to, to move towards, to realize, to see in their lives. And he's saying here, you guys are achieving this. It's what you are known for. And they're known for it, and there's something appealing about it to the point where others are taking notice. And as we're going to go through this letter the next few weeks, and we're even going to see today, people were taking notice. It was making a difference. Churches were inspired by it. Neighbors were blessed by it. The people of God were sustained by it. The enemies of God were threatened by it. The kingdom of God was built up by it, and by the glory, to the glory of God, we have the opportunity to be shaped by it. Amen? And that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is being shaped by this. And to help us understand what exactly these phrases and virtues look like, let's press on walking through the balance of chapter 1 with our time today. Because what we see here is this is where Paul begins to explain these phrases. He begins to explain here first what he's referring to when he speaks about a work that produces faith. And it is not just something that is for them. For that church of that time of that place. This is a something that is for anyone, anyone who hears the good news of Jesus Christ about his work to bring about the forgiveness of their sins. Anybody who hears that, 
accepts it in faith. Because the Bible tells us that in that moment, in that moment of hearing, believing, and accepting, that a person is brought into the family of God. And when you're brought into the family of God, that means you become a child of God. And if you're a child of God, then you are a brother and sister with fellow children of God in Jesus Christ. That's a faith that works. Not our work. He's referring here to God's work through our faith. And he explains this a bit more in their lives in verses 4 and 5 when he says this. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You witnessed it. You saw it. Now let's just pause for a second. Think about what he said here. Because what Paul just said here is, is, is incredible. What, what Paul just said here is that the infinite, all-powerful, creator of all time and space, loves you. He, he doesn't just love the idea of you. He, he doesn't just love the good things that you've done. He knows you. He knows all about you. He knits you together perfectly in your mother's womb. He, he ordained each step and day of your life. He, he knows every aspect of you. He knows your history. He knows your background. He knows the victories, the things that you're proud of, the things you want him to be aware of. He knows those things. But he also knows your struggles. He knows your secrets. He knows your failures. And you know what? He loves you. But, but not just that. He, he loves you to the point where he chose you to rise above all of that as his children. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news for all of us? He chose you to rise above that. That doesn't mean that God denies your free of will to choose him. He's no tyrant of free will where he's going to save you against your will. You're going to be part of this family whether you like it or not, mister. That's not the type of thing we're talking about here. No, he says, I know you. And I know you enough that if I left you to your own devices that you would not choose me. If I just left you on your own... And I sat over here and said, hey, you wouldn't choose me. And so God chose to intervene into your life. God chose to intervene to make a means, to to make a way, to provide an opportunity so that you have a choice. Isn't that amazing? That God loves you individually, specifically, so much that he intervened and cared to move into your life. And to bring you to that moment of choice. Whether that was a moment in the past, or if you find yourself sitting here right now today going, I didn't think God loved me. How could God love me? Is, is it true that God loves me? And you are now brought to this moment of choice. To receive that love, to receive his forgiveness or not. If you're with us last week, you know Pastor Andrew shared a bit of his testimony. And in there we see, we see the movement of God. There were the high points that he celebrates, but there are also some very low points that he shared, all of which were shaping him, were chiseling off the parts that were not Christ-like that needed to be taken off, to, to, to bless him and encourage him in the ways that needed to expand so that he would become more Christ-like. In the end, to each of those steps, he was brought to this movement of God that led him to say yes to Jesus. You know, folks, each and every single one of you has a story. 
And if we were to sit down over a cup of coffee and I were to ask you, tell, tell me your story. It's one of my favorite questions to ask people. If we ever go for coffee, there's a good chance we're going to ask you, to tell me your story. Because I love hearing people's stories. Not because I want to get to know them, but because I want to see what people, what events, what experiences have you had in your life that reveal God's fingerprints on your life. Because he loves you and he moved in your life and he wants to bring you to this point of making a choice for him. One of the ways that God intervened in the lives of the Thessalonians is he brought Paul to them. He brought Paul to them with Silas and Timothy and they preached the good news. Now, it wasn't that Paul showed up with the, with the best philosophy. And it wasn't that he showed up with the perfect words that were just irrefutable to anybody who came against him. That's, that's not what it was talking about here. Because the power that exists here is not power that resides in the words that Paul spoke. It's the power behind the words that drove those words home. And as we see in this passage, that was the power of the Holy Spirit. See, this is one of those situations we find ourselves in quite often where words only have weight. Words only have power based upon the authority behind those words. You probably think of a situation that may have happened for you. I, I remember one time in a different church that I was speaking at once. The, the service went a little bit long, as sometimes happens. And the worship team came up to close the service. And as the worship team was coming out, they had already gone about 10 minutes long in the service. And, and I looked behind me, and there was this probably about a 10-year-old boy marching down the aisle, walked up on the platform, took a microphone from the, from the lady singing in center stage. He took the microphone, and he said, service is over. It's time to go get your kids. <laughs> he did. And he gave the microphone back, and he walked off. Well, the response to the congregation was basically the same as yours. They, they laughed at him, they finished the song, and they went on. There was an awkwardness in it, thinking, well, did somebody send him to give that message? Like, like what, what happened? It, it, it turned, you know, at the end of the story, he, he just, of his own volition, he was just tired of service being on, and so he just came up to end the service. Uh, but the point is, there was no authority behind his words. The service did not end just because he came up and was tired of the service. Now, if I had walked up on the platform at the end and said, we're going to skip the last song because we went long, we're just going to go home, you'd probably grab your coat. Why? Not because the words are different, but because there's a different authority behind those words. You see, Words themselves have no power. It's about the authority behind the words that makes the difference. And when we add this all up together, we come to the point of understanding this first part of this letter is that there are no words more powerful and there are no words more life-changing than the words of Jesus Christ. And when God moves in your life, when God moves in your life and you respond to the words and the movement in your life in faith, that is a faith that works. We read about this in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of your works. It's not of you. It is the gift of God, not by works, by your works. It's by God's grace, so that nobody can boast. Now, there are people in today's world, who hear this quite often, who will say, well, no, I, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I, I kind of get this. I, I believe there's a power beyond myself. Some of these people also say, you know, I, you know it's this kind of idea of karma, right? There's, i got to do my part, and there's a power beyond me who does their part. And, and in this world of karma, if I put good into the universe, I'll, I, I get good back. But then that philosophy bumps into grace. And we start to reconsider this idea of you reap what you sow. 
And, and yeah, maybe, maybe if you sow some good, you get some good back. But the more you think about it, I, boy, I don't know about you folks, but I've reaped a lot more than good in my life. I, I've probably reaped more bad than I care to admit, and I really don't want to reap. I, I've sown more of that, and I really don't want to reap what I've sown in those areas. But praise God that I bump into grace. I bump into his grace, not by my works, whether good or bad, but I bump into his grace. I bump into his forgiveness. And I realize that when I put my faith in him, that is a faith that works. Not because of my works, but because of his works in my life and the grace he extends to me. Amen. Doesn't matter how much you want it. Doesn't matter how good you are. Doesn't matter how hard you you try to earn it. It doesn't work. The only way is through surrendering to the grace of God and experiencing a faith that works. And as we become increasingly aware of that in our lives, and we're not talking here just about a momentary, one moment in time where we said yes to Jesus. I mean, as we continually grow in understanding the power and the magnitude of his love and his grace and his continued movement through us, as we, as we continue to journey with him and experience an awareness of the grace, truth, and love of Jesus Christ, as we start to realize this, we then come to find something else as this verse continues, that we were created for a purpose. It wasn't for our purpose, simply for ourselves, just to be saved and then to, and then to sit We are created as God's handiwork to go then go do good works, not to earn our salvation, but as an expression of it. See, the natural byproduct of experiencing a faith that works in Jesus Christ is what Paul calls here next a labor prompted by love. Now, that might sound like an oxymoron to to some of you because you don't often hear people say, I love to labor. that's, That's a different thing. It's not about loving to labor, it's about a labor of love. If we, if we love to labor, Monday morning would be a lot happier time in a lot of our households. But this labor that Paul's talking about here is this, is this labor that is inspired by the presence of Jesus Christ. It's a natural outcome of the new life that we can experience with him. You see, when Jesus enters into a person's life, when Jesus steps into their lives and they accept him in faith, this, there's like, it, it, it like sparks this change that happens within a person. The Bible talks about how they become a new creation with a, a new life, a new destiny, new hopes, new passions, new desires, new purposes. This, this spark of change happens in a person. And it doesn't just happen in them, it happens through them and around them. It kind of reminds me of this, you know, when we think about the, like, like fusion energy. I, I'm not a, a scientist by any means, but I have a basic understanding of, of fusion energy. Sometimes we have like these nuclear power plants that can fuel entire cities, the lights and the televisions in there. But we have this fusion energy. What happens? Well, when you split one atom, it sets off a chain reaction that releases energy in it, and, and it, you can try and contain it, but it gets used. It gets experienced beyond just the factory, just beyond just the battery that it's used in. And see, folks, when, when God's grace and love collides with your life, it sets off this reaction that changes you from the inside out, and others can experience it through you. Because the source of that power is internal to you. It's like this battery, this this passion that that powers your efforts in the world around you. And here's the coolest thing about it, is that because it's not fueled by your good days, it can't be drained by your hard days. Do you ever think about that? 
If you're motivated to good works, if you're motivated to labors of love because of the love of Christ experienced within you, that is not fueled by your good days. And it cannot be drained by your hard days. Here's how Paul explains this to the church in, in the, of the Thessalonians. He says this of their lives, beginning in verse, in verse 6 here. He says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcome the message in the midst of our severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. The joy given by the Holy Spirit. They'd seen the example of Paul's life transformed. Part of what Paul did was he didn't just preach, he lived among them. So they had seen Paul's life. The transformation of Paul lived out among them. They had seen the effects in his life and they were now seeing it in their own lives. And they were therefore fulfilling what Paul had said to other churches when he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. As I, if I have Christ in my life and I strive to live him in and through my life and you experience that in me, follow the same pattern that I'm trying to do. Follow me as I follow Christ. As I follow Christ who never hid from people that they would have hard times in their lives. He very clearly told his followers, look guys, if the world hates me, they're going to hate you too. Don't be surprised by that. But I want to reassure you by that. The fact that that you can take heart in me, though. Because he said to his followers, I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. I have the power, the authority to promise to send to you a gift that will always be with you. That will guide you. A gift that will encourage you. A gift that will sustain you. That will keep the fuel running in you, even in the hard times. The gift of the Holy Spirit I'm going to send to you. He'll always be with you. In this church, amid severe persecution, they were living in this promise. Amidst the persecution of not knowing what would happen to them every day they opened their eyes, just thankful for another day to love and to serve God. They experienced the joy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who fueled their labor of love towards others. Even when the events of the world weighed down upon them. Oh man, and people took notice. That's what verse 7 and 8 talks about. When it begins in verse 7, it says, And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia. Okay? The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in these places. For your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, what more could I say, Paul says? Like, based upon the example you've lived throughout this entire region, what more could I possibly say about it? He says in verse 8. See, the churches throughout Greece had, had heard, and they had been inspired. They'd been inspired by this example. It was having an impact upon their own faith, their own love, their, their own hope. As I mentioned earlier, this city was a major trade center in the region of Greece. It had a major port. Sailors would come in from all around the world to drop off and pick up cargo, and they would encounter these believers. They would hear the words of Jesus Christ and the new life that he offers. And it would change them. And then they would take that back with them to wherever they came from. People would travel by land through the trade routes and they'd, in, they'd encounter the hospitality and the fellowship and the love and the acts of service given by this church and it would impact them. Have you ever met a Christian who inspired you? As I ask you that question, maybe, maybe there's a name that comes to mind for you. Is there someone you think of, a follower of Christ that has inspired you? 
for me, there's a few that come to mind for me, but one, one is, is Sam. That's why I'm so glad you had a chance to meet Sam while I was away. I've been so inspired throughout the years that I've, I've grown as a pastor and continued to grow by examining and witnessing and observing his, his, his strength of character and his depth of faith in Christ. And it inspires me towards those things. Maybe you think of somebody in your life that's been inspirational to you. Uh, have you ever wondered that maybe you have been inspirational to somebody else? You may not even know about it. Maybe, maybe you have been an example of this faith and love in action. You're not even aware of it. But I want you to know that people around you are watching. They're watching you. And they, and they may not give you feedback, but if you are striving to live these labors prompted by love for Jesus Christ, there's a good chance that you are making an impact in somebody else's life for the sake of Christ. Sometimes you get glimpses of this. There, there's times that I'll run into people who, who just say with me, I, I'm, just, I'm amazed that you would help me. I, I'm amazed that you would serve me. I hear stories about this coming from people who volunteer for our food bank and our, and our, our second stories ministry. I, I hear stories of this of people who, who work on our benevolent teams, our emergency crisis team, who, who work in the foyer, serve in the foyer on Sunday mornings. They're just People are blown away. Like, you're, you're really glad that I'm here? Yes. We're really glad you're here. We want to welcome you and, and love you and share and get to know you. Because all of this points back to Jesus. And, you know, and while that fuels a present hope in our lives, while that can sustain us through the tough times in our lives right now, experiencing this and living in this manner, Let's not forget that it also inspires for us another hope, a hope of a future with Jesus as well, which is actually the third thing that Paul gets to in this letter. You see, for the Thessalonians, they had this moment of, of inspiration, of, of hope, because they're living in the midst of turmoil, but they're fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it was giving them hope in the moment. But, but when they talk about it here at the end of chapter 1, that's, that's not quite what they're referring to. You see, here it also talks about a future hope that can come from all of this as well. And not, not an aspirational hope, where I, I sure hope it works out. It's not an aspirational hope. Whenever the Bible talks about this hope of a future with Jesus, the language that's used, the way that it's presented is it is expressed as an absolute certainty. They were living with this certainty of hope in Jesus. We read about that in verse 9 where it talks about how the, the Thessalonians had turned from worshiping idols to now worshiping God. It, it, it describes this by saying that they had stopped looking to these, these false, empty, powerless images of stone and wood. But now they had started to look towards the true, abounding love of the almighty living God. And that had brought them this present reality. It had brought them this present hope. It had shaped their witness in the world that we've been talking about this morning. That's, that, that was the catalyst to all of that, that it happened. It had shaped the example that they are for us. But you know what supercharged their faith in their works and their love for others? Was this hope of one day seeing Jesus. That, that one day they would see him. They weren't just practicing a philosophy. They were not just looking for a religion. They were entering a relationship of one who they believed that they would see face to face. Oh man, and, and the thought of that. Just impassioned them. It inspired this hope of them for the present, but also for the future. We read this in verse 9 and 10. 
It says, you know, these people who know of you, these people who you've experienced have witnessed you, they tell about how you turn from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, who rescues us from the coming wrath. In Acts chapter 1, we read this incredible story that took place, remember, just a few years prior to the writing of this letter. This incredible event that took place just a few years prior to the forming of this church. This incredible event where Jesus and his followers gathered on a mountainside. And Jesus looked down upon them and this resurrected Messiah looked down upon them and said, I'm going to promise that I'll send you the gift of the Holy Spirit who will come in power. And then you will go be my witnesses to the whole world. And after he promised that, it says there in Acts chapter 1 that after that he was taken up to heaven before their very eyes. And as they stood there, just, just staring at their, at their rabbi, at their, at their savior, at their Lord ascending, as they stood there and stared, it says in verse 9 that two angels appeared. And they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the very same way you saw him go. And they eagerly anticipated and obeyed that. What I mean by obeying that is the angel said, why are you standing here looking up at the sky? That has happened. He said, now go in the power of the Holy Spirit and be witnesses. From the time that he ascended to the time that he comes back, I am calling you to go and to be a witness of the faith and of the hope and of the love. And that was what they were doing. But as they were going about their lives, as they were doing that, they took with them this incredible hope that one day that he would return. And that they would see him face to face. This wasn't about a religion or philosophy. It was about a relationship with the resurrected Messiah that they longed to see face to face. Not only because Jesus would rescue them from the coming judgment of all who reject him. Not because Jesus had the power to make them in right standing with God. But because he promised that they would see him again. That they would be with him. And all folks, that we would see him face to face one day. The thought of that caused them to, to not fear, to, to not shrink back, to, to not just passively kick their feet up and be like, well, I'm in the family. I'm going to sit back till the inheritance comes around. That was not the posture that they took. The posture they took was we need to be ready. We need to be ready. We need to be living lives of faith and love and hope. We need to be revealing that to the world around us so that they can get ready for when he comes back and they too can see the Messiah face to face. That's what they were doing. That's why Paul feels such joy and excitement and encouragement as he reconnects with this church. Because he knew what was true of them and it is true of us. Is that God loves each and every single one of us. And he's moving in our lives. And he brings us to this place of choice regarding him. Now I know some of you, many of you who are here have, have acknowledged that at some point in the past. And you have placed your faith in Jesus' work for you upon the cross. And, and, and his work was true and we can have faith in the work that he did upon the cross to pay the price for our sins. And we can experience new life in him. But I have to ask you a question if you find yourself in that situation. How are you experiencing that new life? How are you experiencing that faith that works? Do you have a faith in Jesus Christ that works in the world? Or have you allowed the world to work in your faith? Do you have a faith that works in the world or have you allowed the world to work in your faith that causes you to shrink back, that causes you to, to wonder, huh, maybe it didn't work. 
Or do we hold firmly with certainty the fact that Jesus says, my work, my grace is sufficient for you. Faith in me works in bringing about salvation and in living your life in this world. Have you turned from the idols of this world as the, as the, as the Thessalonians had to find that even at great cost, there is a faith in Jesus Christ that works? And I know there are others here who probably have not made that step or that confession yet. Maybe you're still at a point of exploring the things of Jesus or questioning the, the reality of these truths and promises that he made. If you find yourself in that situation, I am glad, so glad that you're with us. And I want you to know your next step is to continue journeying with us and to take that step of faith and to find out that it is a faith that works in your life too because God loves you and he's been moving in your life as well. And you will truly experience the work of the Holy Spirit in you who has the power to fuel the joy and the assurance and the perseverance we need in every season of life and that you will see Jesus move in your life and find that he does love you. He has chosen you. And he has brought you to this moment where you need to reply by saying yes and turning from the idols of the world to him. And I can tell you this, that when you do, not only do you have a fresh experience of his love for you, but it ignites this labor of love in us as well. You know, sometimes I meet Christians who I, I know that they are saved. I know they have a firm faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ, but, but but sometimes I just don't see this love and grace for others coming through them. And it leads me to ask the question, you know, do they truly understand Jesus' love for them? Do they truly understand the grace that they have first received, the, the love that they have first received? And Because here's the thing, folks. When people, when we come to realize how awesome God's movement and love is in our lives, how can it not prompt us to want to move into the lives of others? If we have something so amazing and so powerful, why would we not share? We share restaurant recommendations. We share movie recommendations. Why would we not share the power of Jesus Christ in our lives if we have truly, fully come to understand just how powerful that is? You know, the world will not be changed by our words. Remember, there's no power behind our words. The world will not truly be changed by our church services or by how righteous we can become ourselves unless they first know that we love them because he first loved us. So what would it look like in your week in the days ahead to labor in love for Jesus for those around you this week? Now, the last thing I'll say before I close here is that I know there are some here who are going through challenging times and it can be hard to do that. I know there are some who are going through some situations where you have a firm knowledge of God's work in your lives and you know you have a faith that works because it's gotten you this far through the challenge. And you can feel his love and you are overwhelmed by his love, but, but sometimes it's hard to have that go to the point of inspiring you to, to, to have hope and inspiring you to show that love to others. If you find yourself in this situation, whether today or in a day ahead, I, this promise is for you is that God knows about that. He cares about it. Uh, and God is with you in the midst of whatever that trial may be. And so you can place your hope in him for today. You can take the hand of the Father and feel the assurance that that hand brings and feel the peace of his presence in the midst of whatever that thing may be. But know this as well. 
that he is not just in it with you, but he is already on the other side of it. And if we will lift our eyes above the moment, above the situation, we'll see that he will see us through it. And he stands on the other side of it with outstretched arms, beckoning us towards him. And may that give us the endurance we need to endure. May that give us the assurance and the certainty of hope for today because we know that he is in our tomorrow. May we have that certainty of hope inspired by Jesus Christ for today and for all eternity. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Sustain us in this day. May we feel the urgency of revealing you to others today that we and they may know the faith that works, labor and love, and have that hope that's inspired by Jesus Christ.